the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's catch up as we start uh, today's program. We've got a couple of uh, special guests in a few moments. We will catch up with Adam Angievsky of OpenTheBooks.com, uh, who has had the excitement of having Rand Paul take up Adam Angievsky and OpenTheBooks.com, what they did with the NIH and the secret uh, payments to Fauci and others. Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, took that up uh, before the Congress late last week. Very cool. We'll talk with Adam about that. And we'll catch up with Jack Posobiec. Uh, Jack Posobiec hasn't been on the program in a long time. He's now the editor of Human Events, a senior editor of Human Events, and also does a podcast over there and is still doing journalism. We'll talk with Jack Posobiec. He's just back, I think, a few weeks ago, five or six weeks. I'll check with him uh, from a trip overseas, um, including Ukraine. Uh, So we'll talk about that. But first... I was over at the Supreme Court on Tuesday morning as we were awaiting cases uh, to be handed down from the court, including the Dobbs case, which will hopefully, God willing, reverse Roe v. Wade. Um, And how important that will be is uh, hard to even discuss, hard to estimate, hard to describe. That's a better way to say it, uh, because it's a long time coming. And there were protesters. It's building. I have to say, I'm past the point of thinking that I understand what the justices um, rationale is for waiting. I kind of feel like they should have um, put the word out by now and gotten uh, over it, uh, you know, through it because it still didn't come out, didn't come out today. But um, let us talk about um, a different um, issue. Uh, One of the cases that came down is a case out of Maine, out of Maine. And the case out of Maine is about when the governments treat uh, public schools differently than private schools, in particular about giving them money uh, and allowing them to uh, be a, be in the system, some of the systems that the state uh, put in play. And by a six to three decision, which is a big, big deal, uh, the court said that you cannot uh, focus on the, um, you cannot focus and discriminate against the uh, private schools. Uh, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And and the, the reason it's a big deal is because it's been kind of a long time coming. Uh, and it is um, it is a case. So let me tell you the history briefly. Maine actually was the home of uh, Congressman Blaine. Blaine, James Blaine, ran for president at least once, maybe twice, um, was very prominent. And he did not think that Catholic schools should be able to get any kind of aid from the government. He was actually somewhat well known as being anti-Catholic. Well, he put in place and proposed at the national level, the Blaine Amendment. It didn't catch on at the constitutional level here, but in lots of states, they passed it. And the Blaine Amendment basically said, you can't give any money to private schools, separation of church and uh, state and all that. And it was passed as amendments. So that's, you know, states doing what they want. Well, that has been never been completely tested at the Nash, at the federal level, where you say, wait a second, you're not allowed, you know, you're supposed to treat everybody equally. You cannot actually, especially target someone for their religious decisions. So the, um, what happened here is the main case allows, says that Maine must allow parents 
who receive taxpayer-funded tuition assistant payments to use them at religious schools. In other words, if you get from the state a chance to use money, uh, tuition aid, you must be allowed to use it where you want to use it. You cannot be targeted because you want to use it for private schools. The state pays tuition for certain students at private schools so long as the schools are not religious. That is discrimination against religion. So meaning if you're going to give it to students to go to private schools, secular schools, you got to, You can't discriminate against private schools. So this, the reason this is important is it's more movement along the path towards what I would say is religious liberty and making sure if, if you're going to have schools, mandatory taxes for schools, you should be allowed to choose where you go. My argument would be more and more states must pass laws that allow parents to decide where their kids want to go to school. And okay, if we say we have a public good, a public safety requirement that parents send their kids to school. And that's, by the way, new by about 120 years. Before that, you didn't have to send your kids to school. We passed laws that said you must send your kids to school. I think that's fair enough. I'm not, I'm not sure why the government's getting in that, but I think that is something we should do. And so there you have it. Well, the next step is that there's public schools with the government-run monopoly, and they're failing. They're, they're not, well, let me say it better. They're, they're doing okay, okay, not, I think, my opinion, not great, but okay in places where you have lots of uh, prosperity, but in places where there's poverty, the school districts have gone to, to the hell in a handbasket. St. Louis City School, Detroit City School, Baltimore City School, Washington, D.C. City School, mostly black and brown, by the way. But my point here, and then when COVID, COVID exposed, even in suburban schools that have lots of tax base, that the choices that the, the teachers were making was not what were, how they were teaching was not something parents wanted. So my point is just free the whole thing up. Free the whole thing up so that people can pick where they go. Parents should be able to pick where they go and should not be bound by the preference of bureaucrats, government bureaucrat, bureaucrats. And this main case is a step on that path uh, along that way. And, uh, and it's pretty exciting. You're going to see people, they're going to be, this is going to become a, an issue now because in conservative states, they can now pass laws and the laws can say, hey, you go to school where you want to go to school. And you're not going to have this fight because the Blaine amendments, these, these amendments and these, uh, these decisions over the years have been used to say, hey, uh, don't even try. And that's an easy way out for politicians and elected officials is don't try when it looks like something will be blocked because we only have so much time to take up our cases and we only have so much time to do what we're doing. Don't get caught up in something that's not going to succeed. So it's a big deal, really big deal. And in the post-COVID world, more school choice is going to lead to more opportunity for more kids and for more families and for a brighter future. So I'm all for it. Pretty exciting news. All right, we'll take a break. When I mentioned we'll come back, we'll talk with Adam Andrzejewski of Open the Books and then Jack Posobiec at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend Adam Andrzejewski. And Adam Andrzejewski, of course, is the founder and the president of Open the Books. Openthebooks.com is where you can go. If you go there, you'll find tons of stuff. In fact, the website is more of a sort of research uh, outlet for me. I go in there and I get uh, uh, pulled into one aspect or another. And one of the stories that we talked about a few, I don't know, a month ago or six weeks ago that uh, Adam had written about and they posted about was the question of exactly what happens in the federal government when it comes to 
payments, people getting a salary. Okay. People work for the government. They get paid a salary, but then there was these other payments for royalty checks and, and they're, they're secret, or at least they were secret. And now it turns out that Senator Rand Paul noticed what open the books was doing and, and waded into this with uh, Dr. Fauci. So welcome back, Adam. First of all, how are you? Well, it's great to be on the program, Ed. Thank you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. So um, now I, I want to ask a broad question about your work, because if you go to openthebooks.com and people should, they look at the history. You can look at our story and you can hear how this started, the trans- uh, transparency revolution. You know, a couple of years ago, Adam sent a couple of his uh, guys, his colleagues, I guess, who were sort of at the county level, taught some of our eagles how to use transparency as a tool. But also you sort of lay the the uh, you, you part of your gig is you you lay the breadcrumbs. Right. And so sometimes the breadcrumbs get picked up by journalists who says, huh, why didn't I think of asking that? Or they did the hard work of freedom of information requests or whatever or putting it together. I'll go research. I'll go right on that. That happens some. In this case, Senator Rand Paul and his people said, wait a second, I've been trying to get Fauci to answer some questions. And so this, broadly, this is probably one of the great successes in your mind because you got a major policy person, Rand Paul, asking a major leader, what's with the secret money? You must feel good about that, right? Yeah, we really do. And, and furthermore, from the testimony, Dr. Fauci, he was prepared. He actually had a written statement in his notes prepared to answer Rand Paul's questions regarding our oversight at OpenTheBooks.com. We had found that during the last decade, up to $400 million, it's a staggering amount of money, flowed from third-party payers, think pharmaceutical companies, to the National Institutes of Health and 1,805 of its scientists on royalty payments for inventions. Some of the receivers of those payments included Dr. Fauci, Francis Collins, the former director of NIH, and other directors of institutes. For instance, the 19th largest recipient of third-party payments is currently the acting director of the National Cancer Institute. So every single one of these payments has the appearance of a conflict of interest, and we're calling on NIH to open the books. Uh, we're talking again, Adam Anjevsky, and again, openthebooks.com. You can go and see. In fact, one of the useful things right now is on this topic, uh, and we had, we talked about this a month or two ago, but on this topic, you'll see at the front of the website uh, useful links to news coverage of this. Oh, okay, what is this? You know, what happened? But Adam, as again, you've done this all over the country at the state level, county level, federal level. Um, is there anything quite like this? I mean, we, as you point out, we're not talking about $5,000 as a speaking, uh, you know, uh, honorarium. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and we don't know, like, I mean, you know, if you, if you serve on the county, I don't know, board of health, I think you have to do a, a financial disclosure in case you're, you own the local, I don't know, pharmacy that gets a contract. We don't even know. I mean, there's, have you seen anything like this? Even California, which has some crazy spending and wild things doesn't have anything like this, do they? No, I, I, look, this is an entire system designed by unelected bureaucrats to enrich their agency and themselves. So it goes back to uh, 1980, and it was a bipartisan piece of legislation with the Democrat out of Indiana by Senator By, and then the Republican, Bob Dole. And what this allowed was a legal mechanism for um, government-employed scientists who come up with an invention, then the agency, the National Institutes of Health, they own that invention, but split the third-party royalty payments when it's licensed by, say, the private sector or a university. Uh, So 
nobody knew the extent of how large that complex was. Now, during during the pandemic, Ed, you and I, we felt we had this feeling ever growing of the potential unholy alliance between big government and big pharma, for example. Nobody knew that over the course of the last 10 years, $400 million flowed from the industry back to the agency, enriching the agency and its scientists. Now, that's through one door. Through the other door, the National Institutes of Health, every single year, they dole out $32 billion in grant making to 56,000 recipients in the industry. So you have every year tens of billions of dollars going out the door one way to the industry. That's taxpayer money. Who knew coming back through the other door over a 10-year period was hundreds of millions of dollars from the industry to the agency and its scientists? Well, and so, and Adam, like I, I, in front of me on my desk, and you, you, you knew, you knew the late Phyllis Schlafly too. You're an Illinois boy. She was from yeah. Illinois herself. And he in front of my father, when he ran for state rep against George Ryan in 1976 and 1978. That's right. That's right. I forgot. I didn't forget that. I knew that. And I hadn't thought to say it. Um, hey, uh, so on my desk is a speech she gave in uh, 1988. And in it, she talks about why America is so special, among other things. And one of them was America's inventions and our laws that set up a system where you could, if you invented it, you could get the first crack at its value. You know, in other parts of the world, you had to ask the king or the parliament or whoever to give you the chance and they would give it to their friends and monopolists. So it's so we have a fine tradition of the property rights of inventors that that is something we do. On the other hand. If you go to work for the government, sort of the rule has been, hey, you're paid for by we the people. It's kind of our thing, right? I mean, if you if you're getting paid and you've got a great, I mean, you usually got a great salary, you got great security. Nobody, no, no, no American government really has gone out of business, even if they go broke. But I mean, you know, my point: the federal government. You work for the federal government. You got great retirement. You got great health care. You got great security. One of the exchanges is you don't get to have this, um, you know, make money on the side because it's kind of like. You're on our team. You're, you're part of our business. And if you work for a corporation and you invent something great, unless you have a very specific contract, you, you, know, you, you are at least sharing the profits with the company. The thing about this one that's so surprising is it's secret. I watched Fauci and Rand Paul and Fauci basically said, I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I don't have to. I'm not going to. How can that possibly stay that way? Well, I, it can't. Look, the last time this database had sunshine on it, was through the Associated Press. In 2005, they filed a Freedom of Information Act request with NIH for the database, and they got the whole thing unredacted. Oh, you wow. could follow the money. And Ed, they uncovered a scandal with Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Dr. Fauci is the head of his, of his institute, right? The Allergies and Infectious Diseases Institute. And he was, you know, as the director, his institute put $36 million into testing one of his inventions, an experimental AIDS uh, drug on human subjects. So he's getting royalties, $45,000, the Associated Press found between 1997 and 2004, while his agency has directed $36 million to test his invention on human subjects. It's a blatant conflict of interest. Fauci admitted it, and he said he would donate those royalties to charity. But then the spotlight went away when he when Fauci was in front of Rand Paul. He didn't say today he's donating royalties to charity. That's one thing he didn't talk about. So, look, it's it's uh, every single we need transparency on the database. 
Light brings heat. It's the only way to get reform. So we're just calling on uh, NIH to come clean with the American people. Let's see it. Let's see. They say, trust us right now. We have firewalls. We're not buying it. We want to see the flow of funds. $400 million. Is there any reason that you know of that if tomorrow um, the Senate and the House passed uh, laws that said, uh, tell us all where this all went, make it public. Is there any is there any national security reason, anything like that, that they'll claim? I mean, they might claim it. But I mean, in other words, this is just a, a preference that the lawmakers did in law. Right. I mean, it's not there's no there's no reason we can there's no confidence. No HIPAA kind of I mean, HIPAA is a law, too. It's not HIPAA is not from God. HIPAA is a law. So is there any reason that we couldn't see, say, in the fall or next January, the House and Senate under new leadership say we want this transparency now? And they'd have to comply. I guess the president could veto it, but at least you'd have the is there anything to stop that. Well, I mean, it's just will, right? It's just right. political will to to, you know, look, this is why, Ed, we say transparency revolutionizes United States public policy and politics, because if you can follow the money, you can fact check promises. So within 36 hours back in May of the release of this report from our team at OpenTheBooks.com, it led to a House hearing on. Well, uh, as a part of the House's hearing on the NIH budget appropriation, acting director Lawrence Tabak was in the hot seat when John Molinaire, a Republican congressman out of Michigan, quizzed him for five minutes on these third-party royalties. And finally, in minute four, Tabak admitted, yes, every single one of those royalties has the appearance of a conflict of interest. But he said, trust us, we have firewalls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing I the thing with the thing, one of the things that you, I think you'd agree, if if it's true, it's not a conflict of interest, then just show it. Right. And if it's not, if it's not and, you, and, and we you know, we want to next time we have a president uh, hire a different president who will not have a policy that allows people to make, you know, because it could be just for the sake of fun. Let's say that you now have a scientist at NIH who's making 200 grand or 300 grand as a salary. They might be making a million dollars off of their basically the American people's lab and all. But it may not. That's not illegal. But just show it. Right. I mean, it could be it, it could be illegal if there's some you know pay to play. But I doubt it. Let's just say let's say it's not illegal. It still is something that we shouldn't prefer. But that's a, a preference right now. We don't know. That's your point is you can't tell because it's hidden. Exactly. And, and royalty payments to scientists are capped at one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year. But you're you're ex- absolutely right. We looked at six out of the top 20 out of right. eighteen hundred scientists receiving the most royalty payments. And they're, they're currently employed at NIH. And here's the stunner. They're in their 80s and their 90s. The number two royalty receiver is actually 91 years old. And he was hired all the way back in the Eisenhower administration. He's still in an employee? 1959. Still, still an employee? Still an employee. He's a distinguished and, and, and highly yeah. merited scientist. But uh-huh. he's now 91. He's making $300,000 a year. In, uh, yeah. in taxpayer paid salary, he's the number two recipient of royalties, and he hasn't authored a paper on a scientific discovery in years. Well, so that's but that's a, that that that's my thing. There is that that's that's, that's just uh, these guys want to be like uh, uh, higher ed. It's just it's tenure. They can't get rid of somebody because I mean that's that's insane. I mean, there's no three hundred thousand dollars a year. There's no way somebody's working that hard for that. I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm not against retirements. He'd get a retirement though. If he, I, that's, that's nuts. That's crazy to me. That's even more. Right. That's so even your, more. On stunning. these royalties, Ed, 
You can uh, obviously you can receive the royalties while you're employed at NIH. If you leave Uh, the agency, the royalties go with you. If you die, (laughs) we've discovered that the royalties continue to be paid to your estate. Wow. So so over the course of the next 10 years, virtually everybody in the top 20 royalty, you know, top 20 royalty receivers, they're going to be dead. But, you know, Reagan had it wrong. The best example of eternal life on earth. (laughs) <laughs> isn't a government bureau. It's a royalty payment to an NIH scientist. Yeah, boy, oh boy. Well, Adam Anjevsky, again, everybody, please visit openthebooks.com, find out about the work they do. Look at this great stuff and then support their work. Adam, thank you as always. I'm sure we'll have you back on again very soon. Uh, it's fascinating. And congratulations on, in this case, you know, one of the national leaders uh, of in healthcare and government, Rand Paul, taking up uh, what you guys discovered. That's pretty uh, exciting. So congratulations. Thank you, Ed. All right, Adam Anjevsky, everybody, and we'll put it all up on social media and we will take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's been far too long since we've talked to my old friend, Jack Posobiec. He's been very, very busy. And one of the things I was going to say to him is I hadn't looked at his numbers to see. On Twitter, he's a dominant force. He's got almost 1.8 million, almost 2 million followers on Twitter. And of course, he's a uh, senior editor over at Human Events, works with Turning Point USA, is a little bit of everywhere. And uh, his book on Antifa still is what you should read, especially since I suspect when they write the history, whatever happens and the nights of rage after uh, Roe v. Wade is reversed will will be uh, echoing back to Antifa. So welcome back, Jack. How are you? Well, Ed, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we've been doing a lot of tracking of this new sort of Antifa offshoot group, uh, sort of a militant movement, which has cells across the United States, and they call themselves Jane's Revenge. And Mm. they're the ones who are claiming credit for attacking pro-life centers, um, pregnancy uh, crisis centers, you know, non-abortion crisis centers, and then even churches in some instances. Now, in some cases, it's just graffiti. In other cases, it goes as far as firebombing. And we've seen this in Buffalo, New York. We've seen this in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. We've seen it down in North Carolina. We're seeing it all across the country. And they're putting out communiques and missives and clearly acting as you would expect a terrorist group to do. Uh, they claimed that, with, that within 30 days, if, if the pro-life centers didn't close their doors, then they would no longer be targets. Well, it turns out that none of the pro-life centers were willing to close their doors because we <laughs> realized that Roe v. Wade is the wrong side of history, that it's clearly on the ropes. They're going to be losing. And that's why these groups are getting more and more violent. So we're tracking Jane's revenge. And if I ever, you know, and we cover that on the Human Events Daily yeah. Podcast, every day with Turning Point uh, USA. And we're going to be down to Tampa speaking um, pretty soon here at the the next Turning Point event. It's going to be a student action summit in Tampa end of July. But, um, you know, if I end up doing a, uh, you know, a volume two or a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a you new should. edition of yeah, the yeah. Antifa book, we're definitely <laughs> going to have to talk about this group, Jane's well, Revenge. Jane's Revenge. Well, and uh, we're talking with Jack Posobiec, and I think I should have said at Jack Posobiec on Twitter is his Twitter handle. Track him down and follow him. Um, Jack, the, the again, your experience as an investigative journalist, even your in your previous career as an intelligence officer in the Navy, I mean, you, you watch, you know, sort of systems, people in systems operating. My question is, when when we start to see the 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 sort of uptick in this activity, because 
BLM and Antifa, after Biden wins, their political goal is met. They don't have a real policy goal. They sort of fade away and count their money. And, you know, BLM's like all that. But when you see this uptick of activity, is your assessment that obviously there's more coming, but is it now compare it to some of the others? It doesn't feel like the average Joe is saying, ah, you know, what was the I was over at the cap. I was over at the Supreme Court today and they had, you know, uh, don't tread on my vagina. You know, I I don't think the normal people do that. And normal people sort of were roped into feeling like BLM was something they should care about a little bit more. I don't know. I so where is this going? Is it going to be isolated? Is it going to be broader? How do you feel about it? Well, I do think it's going to be broader. And, and I think that the timing of this is highly suspect. And, it, and it's clearly being done by design because what's going on now, right? What was BLM, Antifa, it's almost like they were dormant, right? For right, right. all of these, you know, for all of 2021 and then halfway through 2022. Yep. But now here we are sliding, hurtling towards the midterm elections, November right. 2022. And it's almost like those very same organizations, the networks, the people involved, the personalities are suddenly being reactivated. Now in 2020, you know, and they're always given a, a causes belli, right? You, right, know, right? you know, they give a reason to rage. And the reason to rage in 2020 was, of course, George Floyd. So the, you had the George Floyd riots across the country. And now they're being told, well, the new reason is going to be uh, Roe v. Wade. And then in 2017, it was the election of Donald Trump when they attacked the inauguration. And it's always the same people, right? They just keep changing the names. They keep changing the reasons, but it's the same people. It's the same organizations, the same networks that unfortunately our FBI has not done the work of rolling up the way they should have. So, Jack, um, when you say, I mean, we're going into the hot summer, right? It does. You should point out we're hurtling towards a midterm election where the, the other side in this, the people that are that have been in charge want to change the, the conversation. I hate to say it like this, but did, does this have the markings of, of, of working? Will it work? Well, I think it's something where conservatives and, you know, just just honestly, normal Americans, you know, people who are just looking to, uh, you know, have a nice summer and be out. Look, I had the kids out last night. We were in the backyard. We had the marshmallows going. We had the fire pit, you know, and it was great. But people have to understand that, you know, it's sort of like that old adage from the Soviet Union that you may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested (laughs) in you. Yeah, yeah. There are people that are looking to overturn our way of life. They are looking to destabilize our country. And when you look at all of this and you say, boy, it seems like every factor, every asset, whether you look at the economy, whether you look at finance, whether you look at uh, our civil society, whether you look at our religious life in this country, every single one of those is being destabilized. Schools, right? And why is this, right? It's being done by design. They are destabilizing our system because they wish to overthrow it and then erect a new system of their own making. Uh, we're talking again to Jack Posobiec at Jack Posobiec on Twitter. Uh, Jack, can I ask you, I haven't had, I haven't talked to you myself even off the air since you made that trip over to uh, the, to the Ukraine and to Ukraine and you were traveling around there. Uh, Give me uh, maybe your perspective on where we are today. It's been probably five or six or seven weeks since you were there. Where are we today in that situation? You know, it's gone off the, I I guess they got all the spending they needed. Biden got all the money he wanted and poor Zelensky was told, yeah, we're right there with you, but now there's no coverage of it. There's no media coverage of it. It's kind of move on to the next thing. What, what's your perspective on what's happening? Well, exactly. And actually just, just three weeks since we came back. So oh, we is did it? Stop. Oh, wow. Wow. We did stop at, um, the, uh, you'd appreciate, of course, that we were able to go to the Vatican on our way across Europe. So we stopped there one day. We did the, uh, St. Peter's Basilica. We were hmm. able to visit this. I, I actually was able to receive 
uh, confession, the sacrament of confession inside the Sistine Chapel itself. Wow, which was holy just that, could have, that I, would have taken a long time, though, for you, Jack. It could have been a oh, couple it, hours. It, it took I mean, pretty, you know? much half, pretty much half the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'd say about a good a good 50% of it was all Twitter related. Um, but uh, but then we did make it to Ukraine and, and we didn't just stay in Lviv, that western city. We, we ended up riding the rails, my brother and I, about 40 hours in total. Uh, traveling about 1,200 miles on the ground on on these old 50-year-plus Soviet-era trains in Ukraine, made it down to the city of Odessa, across, and then through the checkpoints up to the city of Mykolaiv, where we were able to drive through there with some local contacts and guides that we had uh, that we had linked up with. And honestly, it, it really does feel like a you know. This, we were told the sanctions are going to stop the war. The sanctions are, are going in place to hurt the Russian war machine. And we're going to save the people of Ukraine. And yet you turn around and it feels like the American people are the ones that have been sanctioned by the Biden administration. Yeah, yeah, because exactly. we're, we're the ones that are suffering inflation and our supply chains breaking apart. And these, these we're now talking about food supply chains breaking apart, these crises. And then meanwhile, when you see what's going on in Ukraine, you know, we saw... Uh, you know, guys were driving to the front lines with in their own personal vehicles with body armor and helmets that they had gotten from donations from just, you know, average citizens around the world. And I said, well, where's the, you know, where's the 40 billion? Where's the, uh, yeah, right. You know, where's all the money from the United States? Like, what do you mean you're driving down as a volunteer? Like, where, where's the, where are the supply lines? Where are the trucks? Where's the, where's the trains? And they, they were telling us that they weren't getting it. So that money, that 40 billion, you know, if we're going to be good stewards of, our nation's wealth, uh, we didn't see any evidence of it. But we did see evidence of is the Ukrainian army making a and, and certainly a courageous stand over there in the east. Mm-hmm. But they are getting completely encircled and enveloped by the Russian, the massive Russian military. And with my, you know, military officer hat on, you know, prior Navy intelligence officer. You know, you, you have to understand the Russian army has fought this terrain many times. This is where they, they defeated the German Wehrmacht just about 80 years ago, the exact same terrain where they were able to kick uh, Hitler and the Nazis out. And so, you know, when you're a Russian um, officer, right, you know, you're going up through the Russian military academy, which battles do you think you're studying? Of course, you're studying the battles that were fought in Ukraine. And so right. they know this terrain, they know it very well, and they're using it to their advantage, plus their supply uh, supply chain, uh, massive advantage, and their massive numerical advantage. I mean, obviously, right? Russia is a a, um, a great power and certainly a regional power there in Europe. There's something that, and President Macron, not someone that I I take to um, quoting at length, and he had a huge <laughs> huge political defeat this week. But right. um, he actually made a point, and he said, "Look, you know, uh, Russia is here today." They will be here tomorrow. They were here yesterday. Uh, we have to deal with them. You cannot just take, you know, geography is destiny. And mm-hmm. yeah, he said, Europe is a long continent and at the end of it is Russia. And I think that's uh, something that's a little different than the moralistic kind of, you know, you're with us or against us talk that you get from the Biden administration. Yeah, we're talking with Jack Posobiec. And uh, he mentioned earlier, he's the host of a very popular podcast, Human Events Daily, which is uh, powered by Turning Point USA and also at Jack Posobiec on Twitter daily, uh, Human Events Daily. You can get that podcast. Um, Jack, uh, you, you have become and I would say that I'd say this as a friend of mine, but somebody who's watched it, you become better and better at communicating and you become better at better and better and better at finding your path to do it. 
it. So when you were, you know, five or six years ago, you were doing walking out of Union Station, doing, uh, you know, a, a Twitter feed, a live feed there talking to people. And then <laughs> yeah. and then you were doing professional, uh, you know, reporting, investigative television reporting. you got a podcast that's in the top 10 every week, it seems, or every day. Uh, so, but broadly, when you watch what's happened, you know, the president of the United States, then President Trump is deplatformed. Um, you watch uh, Mike Lindell, a major successful businessman, sort of deplatformed and targeted generally. And then you watch the full propaganda production of the select committee, the January 6th select committee on the heels of the Russia hoax, which the Mueller report and everything was so effective. And it was, it was stupid and it was wrong. It was turned up nothing, but it was effective at convincing 40 percent of the country that there was a Russia collusion with Trump. But so when you see all that and you keep plowing your way through, you know, your Twitter feeds up to two million almost. But I mean, isn't it uh, isn't the narrative machine? I call it big tech, big media and big government. Aren't they just uh, uh, taken over? Well, I think they are completely taken over. But what, you know, Ed, what, what gives me so much uh, optimism, right? And I am an optimistic guy, and that's not just because I'm a Christian, right. but it's, it's optimistic in the sense that I see so many people now that are getting switched on, that are waking up to some of these things that are going on in our country. People that, you know, somebody will stop me at church or somebody will stop me that I'm, you know, if I'm going to stop, you know, I was at the Wawa the other day and I was just checking out and the guy comes up to me from around the back of the, the cash register and says, hey man, keep doing what you're doing. You're fighting mm. for us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you're, you're seeing the response out there from people who a lot of it's working people, people who are in the trenches every day, just trying to make a living in this country. Some of the hard scrabble areas, you know, you look at the Rio Grande Valley down in Texas, et cetera, my home state of Pennsylvania, where people are fighting and people are struggling, but they're realizing more and more that it actually is the politicians in Washington, DC, and these policies that have led us down this path and that there was a president for four years who was trying to do his darndest to correct that, to right that ship. And that it was those same forces that conspired together to basically, uh, you know, gimmick him out of his office. Yeah. But, you know, I, I look at this and I, I, I've said this a couple of times already uh, publicly, but I think, I think 2024, uh, I think the only thing that stops president Trump from running again is a heart attack. I think that the the stars are aligned and, uh, you know, if he runs, he will clean up in the primary and he will dominate in November. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you on that. I think and I think um, what you're seeing is the same. People don't people have short memories, but you're seeing the same kind of positioning from the media and from the establishment saying, oh, he's not that popular. Soccer moms won't like him. All that junk they did in 15, 16. When yeah, it's like 15, 16 all over again. Right. It's like we're having the same conversations. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it. I think it's all a fake and a lie. I do think that the uh, January 6th select committee is really a diabolical effort to try to really put some drag on everything and it, you know again it's so professionally done it's such good propaganda i don't mean it as a compliment i mean well, did a- you see though did you, there was a there was a study i think it was nbc they and they did this survey and i think it was up i want to say it was in the state of wisconsin where they found some some independent voters and they sat them down and they, and they said watch <laughs> some some highlights of the january 6th hearings they watched right. some watch some of it watch some of it and then here's some of the things that some of the uh these trump supporters had to say about the the con the way the uh, the uh, the conduct of the 2020 election was executed, and what do you think? And they said the majority of the uh, the people that in the survey that watched all this said came away thinking 
hey, you know what? Maybe Trump was at, was was onto something back then. Maybe we should look into this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, more. yeah, exactly. We'll see. All right. Um, Jack Posobiec at Jack Posobiec and check him out. Uh, his uh, podcast has exploded in popularity and you can human events daily. It's called and track it down. If you haven't heard it, it's great. Uh, Jack, be careful as always. And thanks for taking the time with us. Appreciate it. God bless. Same to God you. God bless you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. Don't forget, I'll put up on social media his uh, Twitter feed. Jack's really good on Twitter. Really helpful. Connects you with a lot of folks uh, and uh, has a lot of energy. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. After striking a deal with Twitter's board of directors to purchase the company, it looks like billionaire Elon Musk has a lot of work ahead of him. When Twitter banned President Donald Trump, it appeared that censorship had won. A tidal wave of additional censorship ensued, causing Twitter to become the dullest place on earth. Free speech vanished on Twitter after excluding Trump. On Earth Day, Twitter announced that it will ban advertisements contrary to liberal assertions of man-made global warming. And the European Union recently implemented the Digital Services Act to require further censorship by Twitter and other social media. Twitter banned free speech about COVID-19, including terminating the account of Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia for criticizing the COVID vaccine. While Musk has promised to unblock Trump, it remains to be seen whether Musk will allow free speech against the COVID vaccine or healthy promotion of early treatment for COVID. The decline in the value of Twitter stock prior to Musk's offer was not only due to its ban of individuals, as its suppression of speech expanded broadly to many COVID tweets. When it did not outright ban someone for COVID-related tweets, Twitter posted ugly disclaimers for disfavored tweets that were critical of vaccination. A year ago, Trump observed that Twitter has become totally boring as people flock to leave the site. Trump added, I guess that's what happens when you go against freedom of speech. Elon Musk needs Trump and his many supporters to turn this around, and he should not allow Europe to stifle free speech here. To succeed, a new Twitter needs to restore blocked accounts and end its censorship. Of course, the last thing conservatives should do is crown Musk as some kind of messiah and surrender the fight against big tech to this seemingly benevolent benefactor. At the end of the day, we the people need to make it clear that we won't let big tech lobbyists control our elected representatives in our stead. Yet Musk's Twitter purchase opens a lot of opportunities for the world to see how successful a true bastion of free speech can be. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, as we wrap things up uh, today, let me make a clarification. 
um, and an important one. I think I was speaking earlier about um, efforts to highlight the crazy and terribleness uh, of the abortion industry. Um, and, you know, one of the key moments in the last, as we're thinking about the pro-life movement, and then we're waiting to see if God willing, the, um, uh, the, um, uh, Dobbs decision, um, comes down. I, you know, we've been, I've been highlighting some of the key leaders and, um, uh, David Delayden is actually the guy who did the undercover videos, um, about the, um, uh, Planned Parenthood official who was saying, you know, well, we can get you some of these key fetal body parts if you want. And I remember talking to the late Phyllis Schlafly about how important it was uh, that those videos came out. It showed a sort of callousness, not a sort of, it showed a callousness and was almost terrifyingly cold. Uh, and David Delayden is the guy that did that. I think I might have said in an, in an interview recently that it was uh, Project Veritas. It's uh, it was called the Center for Medical Progress, is what David Delayden uh, came up with, and um, just extraordinary videos that laid bare uh, the, the the just sickness with which the Planned Parenthood official was saying, "Hey, I can get you this body part, that body part." Um, so David Delayden, and he say he's had a terrible time. They've come after him in all kinds of ways to penalize him and and. And use lawfare against him in in uh, California. So, uh, what a good man! And I uh, what ought to be remembering these key people who put in such efforts to make a difference uh, in this fight. So, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah, uh, our great producer, Noah Dingley, and also Joanna Spilger, associate producer. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.